시편 148. 할렐루야. 하늘에서 여호와를 찬양하며 높은 데서 찬양할지어다. 그의 모든 사자여 찬양하며 모든 군대여 찬양할지어다. 세상의 왕들과 모든 백성과 방괴과 땅의 모든 사사며 선청 남녀와 처녀와 노인과 아이들아 다 여호와의 이름을 찬양할지어다. 그 이름이 홀로 높으시며 그 영광이 천지에 뛰어나심 이로다. 저가 그 백성의 뿔을 높이셨으니 저는 모든 성도 곧 저를 친구에 하는 이스라엘 가존의 찬양교리로다. 할렐루야. Thanks, Oki. I think I spoke last time you delivered a, a reading in Korean, and I, d I don't know why I do that to myself. It always messes me up um, in, a good, in a good way. Uh, I want to invite Warren again to, to come and read the final three verses of Psalm 104 that we opened our time with this morning. Too many of you missed that, so uh, just so we hear a, a cacophony of different languages here, uh, Warren. 2 per sempre la gloria del Signore. Gioisca il Signore delle sue opere. Egli guarda la terra ed essa trema. Egli tocca i monti ed essi fumano. Canterò al Signore finché avrò vita. Salmeggerò al mio Dio finché esisterò. Thanks, Warren. Isn't that beautiful? And uh, Maddie, you just returned from Italy, is that right? So uh, maybe you just didn't even hear this as different. It's just your, it's the, the world you've been in for the last couple of weeks. We're glad to have you back, by the way, from, from Italy. Well, today, if you haven't picked up on what's going on here, um, it's Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. So it's the day that we look to the, the passage Acts 2 and the outpouring of God's Spirit and the significance of what the descent of the Spirit means. So several weeks after Easter Sunday and the resurrection of our Lord, so you know the believers are gathered together. In fact, let's read that passage from Acts chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? And here's where I falter through uh, different uh, pronunciations. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. 
in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to, to one another, what does this mean? So with this text echoing in our minds and the two psalms that we've heard read, both in Korean and in Italian, I'd like to draw our attention to uh, the final stanza of a poem by Malcolm Geith titled Pentecost. And I'd like for these lines to kind of serve as our, as our framework for the remainder of our time together today. So listen to these lines. The right words come today in their right order. And every word spells freedom and release. Today the gospel crosses every border. All tongues are loosened by the Prince of Peace. Today the lost are found in his translation, whose mother tongue is love in every nation. Isn't that a great poem? So the first of these lines, uh, the right words come today in their right order. Part of what it means for the right words to come in their right order is that we, we cannot give out what we have not first received. The gift of the Spirit is indeed a, a gift given. I'm drawn back to Jesus' words to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, although this is a different context, of course, than the day of Pentecost, I think the words are applicable here. Jesus says to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. He forgives so that you and I can forgive. He loves so that you and I can love, can know love. He bestows peace so that we can be a peaceful presence. And you can sort of go down the list, but the underlying point here is that we cannot give what we don't possess. We cannot give out from what we have not first received by his spirit. I'm thankful for the gift of God's spirit today on Pentecost. Secondly, Geit says, every rightly ordered word spells freedom and release. Every word spells freedom and release. There are many places in the gospel and acts we could go that illustrate this, the truth of this line, but perhaps the clearest echo is the way the Spirit is at work in Jesus' own life. At the beginning of his ministry, think back to Luke chapter 4 and his quotation of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus stands and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And later in this chapter, we see him doing exactly that. He accomplishes these very words by delivering a man from an unclean spirit. Immediately after, there's kind of a, a foreshadowing of, of Pentecost. They see this man delivered and they ask, what does this mean? What is going on here? Who, who could this be? They were all astounded and kept saying to one another, what kind of word is this that with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out and news about him began to reach every place in the region. There's some characteristics of uh, a fresh encounter with God's spirit that I'd like for us to think back upon today to reflect upon um, 
perhaps you can think back to a time when, when you had kind of a, a fresh encounter with, with the Spirit of God. That may have looked like a, a time where kind of the, the veil between heaven and earth seemed especially thin, or uh, things were kind of porous between the holy and, and your life. There was a kind of divine intersection. Has anybody experienced a fresh outpouring of the Spirit in your own life. I'm seeing some nodding heads, and I would expect some, some shouts and some jumps if it were another crowd, but I'll, I'll take what I can get. And there are a few kind of common uh, threads in my own experience, and, and maybe you can resonate with this as well, uh, from a, a fresh kind of infilling of, of God's Spirit, a fresh encounter, a fresh experience of God's Spirit. I just want to name a couple. Uh, maybe, again, you can resonate with this. It, it awakens compassion. A fresh encounter with the Spirit of God uh, sensitizes us to need, the needs of those around us. A fresh encounter with God's Spirit uh, sensitizes us to, to our own needs, but also those, those around us. A fresh encounter with God's Spirit might awaken our imagination to possibilities for change. All of these things might be marks of a fresh and filling of God's spirit. And of course, as Geit mentions in his poem, there is freedom and release available when God's spirit comes. The third of these lines from Geit's poem reminds us that today the gospel crosses every border. And this is a reality, again, testified to throughout Acts and the remainder of the New Testament. Peter's message in Acts 2 that we uh, left off before getting to in, in that passage from Acts 2 that we read a moment ago. Of course, he famously quotes the prophet Joel, saying that in the last days, in response to this question, what does this mean? He quotes the prophet Joel, and he says, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Of course, what's going on here, all of these languages, these people are understanding these, these speakers in their own native tongues, and this is a, a revelation of Joel's prophecies, what Peter gets up and, and talks about. But I find it interesting, at least for, for Peter, that it's not for another several years, more than a decade by many estimates, that Peter is summoned to the home of a Gentile, and he actually experiences what he prophesies on the day of Pentecost. Isn't that something? I mean, he preaches it, and of course he, he knows it to be true. He's offering it as an explanation, but maybe there's a sense in which he doesn't quite fully know that it's true until he gets to experience it for himself. He might recall the story in Acts chapter 10 when Peter is visited by a, a vision as he's slumbering on a rooftop and it leads him to the home of a Gentile. And it's quite possible, <laughs> I'm realizing the irony of this as I'm saying it, to, to preach something and to not have experienced the reality of it. So I, I pray that for each of us, perhaps even this morning, a fresh sense of the infilling of God's spirit and the intimate knowledge of it. But the fruit of that may be brought forth here, but it's just as likely that it may be brought forth as we go from here and experience the kind of boundary crossing that Acts 2 makes possible, that is witnessed to on this day of Pentecost.
probably uh, going to happen outside of these doors. Uh, and it could take uh, a decade. <laughs> Are we comfortable with waiting that long? I don't know. Uh, the believers were all together prior to the day of Pentecost, uh, praying, waiting, tarrying. Are there any Pentecostals in, in the room? Waiting for God's Spirit to come. Before Peter experiences for himself what he preaches, uh, he needs a, a conversion of his imagination. And that only comes in his interaction with a Gentile. Pentecostal scholar Frank Machia says, conversion is both horizontal and vertical, both to God and to others. You can't have evangelism in the biblical sense of the term, he says, if walls are not falling between people. And Peter's line in Acts chapter 10, I truly understand, as he's in Cornelius' house, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every people... Anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. Pentecost comes like a lightning bolt on the day of Pentecost, but the, the reality it ushers in is marked by the Spirit's slow, patient work to level the boundaries that we have insisted upon putting up. We're drawing close to the end of this short poem, uh, I'd like to leave a little bit of space here at the end of the, the message, not only for communion, but for, uh, for prayer together. In the fourth line of this stanza, Guide alludes again to the speech that the Spirit enables. All tongues are loosened by the Prince of Peace. The image that Geit gives us of tongues being loosened by the Prince of Peace, aside from the obvious allusion to the events in Acts 2, all of these people are speaking in other languages, might also draw us back to John 20. Recall Jesus' words when he breathes his spirit into the disciples and he appears to them following his resurrection. He says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, that's quite the transition, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So there's a, a direct connection here that it's maybe easy to miss, especially if we are, uh, I don't know, if we've read John 20 again and again, and we're familiar with this passage uh, this, I'd like for us to recover a little bit of what might be jarring here in this kind of period and space between receive the Holy Spirit and if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. What keeps me from speaking up uh, to reconcile in broken relationships is often fear or past hurt or ongoing conflict or uh, misunderstanding, maybe you can relate, you maybe have a, a strained relationship that you can bring up in, in your mind this morning, maybe there's an unresolved issue. The same power to forgive that Jesus offers his disciples in this previously locked room that, in which he visits them, this is the power to forgive. The power of the loosened tongue here is not to speak in another language but it is to speak the language of forgiveness. 
the Holy Spirit comes that we might have our tongues loosened to forgive where we have harbored resentment. Again, you're shouting me down. Uh, perhaps we've harbored resentment or, or nursed hurt, and that has led us to become closed off and to avoid speaking the words of forgiveness that are desp- desperately needed in certain situations. God has given his spirit that our tongues might be loosened in precisely this way, that we might forgive. The fifth line of this stanza might be my favorite of the entire poem. Today the lost are found in his translation. And there's so much in this single line. The words his translation refer to the ways that Christ has translated us from death to life. And my mind is drawn here to Paul's words in Colossians chapter 1. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But the line leaves open alternative possibilities here that the lost are also found through our translation of him into the language that others can understand. Does that make sense? Are you following me there? It's kind of a subtle difference. Geitz's line also underscores that the gift of Pentecost is tied to speech and to words. The words we speak and hear are not all ours. Even when we are the speakers, the words we speak are not ours. On the day of Pentecost, that's true in at least two senses. First, the words spoken by those present on the day of Pentecost are in a language that isn't native to the speakers themselves. That's kind of the obvious point. Secondly, Luke tells us that they are recounting God's deeds of power. So in this sense also, the the language that they're using is not theirs. It is the language of Scripture. They're, They're quoting Scripture. They're drawing from Israel's Scripture. Perhaps they're even quoting the Psalms that we've heard today. Biblical scholar Jack Levinson contends that those gathered in the upper room in the days prior to the day of Pentecost were rehearsing these very same words prior to the Spirit's descent. He says, what were they doing in the upper room for those days? He contends they were studying. They were reading their Bibles. They were trying to understand Jesus. And so what happens when they're inspired and the Spirit fills the room? They go back to what they know. He says they speak a litany of God's great works. And this is the same thing that Jesus himself does in the post-resurrection appearance uh, that he makes with the Emmaus disciples when he unpacks, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures in Luke 24. Even Peter, when he gets up to explain what's happening, shapes the audience's understanding of the events using language from the prophet Joel. These are words that, in one sense, are not his own. He's drawing on Israel's scripture. If there's an application to be made here, it's that we would do well to rehearse the narrative of God's redemption as frequently, as creatively, as winsomely as possible. In Acts chapter 8, verses 27 through 31, we read this account of Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was Reading from the prophet Isaiah, then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? 
He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? How can I unless someone translates to me the love of God? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. I love that little line. He invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. This is the miracle that Pentecost makes possible. In addition to all of the miraculous language miracles and and the healings that we read throughout the book of Acts, it is this subtle invitation from a Gentile uh, to Philip to to please join me. (laughs) Please sit next to me. Please translate to me what these words are in a way that makes sense to me. The lost are found in our translation of God's greatness to those who need to hear it in a language that they can understand. Philip's willingness to faithfully translate the words of the prophet Isaiah to the Ethiopian eunuch results in the man's salvation. I think there's another sense that's possible to see here in this line, the lost are found in his translation, which is that we, the lost ones, are found as we translate and make Christ accessible to others. It's not only those to whom we speak that are found, but it is we ourselves who are found in the act of translating God's greatness to others. And I'm hoping from the missionaries in the room to see heads nodding here because you're my, you're my test cases. Uh, the work of translating God's goodness cross-culturally, that has the power, of course, to transform not only those to whom we're translating these words, but also ourselves. And we see the example of this in Acts, again, chapter 8, verse 3. Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house. Dragging off both men and women, he committed them to prison. And then in Acts 28, uh, just a few chapters later and some years later, uh, we see this same person who was committing all of these atrocities in Acts chapter 8, the end of the book. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. Came to him. So I want to submit the story of, of Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9 is well known and, and well rehearsed, and it is a powerful one. But consider all that Paul did after that crossing language barriers, crossing cultural barriers to translate God's goodness. And his conversion takes place not only in Acts chapter 9, but in all of his interactions with quote-unquote outsiders after that. He, his imagination becomes converted such that he goes from going from house to house, dragging out believers to welcoming those who come to him in Acts 28. And kind of smashing these verses together uh, makes the, uh, I don't know, the the chasm that exists between uh, his behavior in the book of Acts, uh, it helps us to see it with new eyes. This is the Spirit's work. The final line of the poem, whose mother tongue is love in every nation. There's something about an empower encounter with God's Spirit that realigns us with our identity as beloved and with our calling to love others. This final line of Geit's poem gestures toward the distinguishing mark of the Spirit's work. Uh, And it is the distinguishing mark, even though it's perhaps easy to overlook. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
So perhaps today, as we prepare to pr approach the table, you're here and you're uh, feeling as though you're maybe running on empty. And the Spirit's gift is available to you today. Freely you have received, freely give. Cannot give uh, what we have not first received. Perhaps you're feeling held captive or hemmed in or stuck in ways big or small. And you have desired to experience the freedom and release that Christ offers and that is available through his spirit. Perhaps you're feeling a nudge to cross a relational barrier you haven't crossed. And perhaps this is as simple as crossing the street in your neighborhood. Uh, the most recent experience of the spirit that I had was uh, baking cookies and then taking them to the neighbors across the street. Uh, and, and just the act of, of crossing that street to, to build the bridge of relationship that, that I had kind of been neglectful to and had blinders on uh, was itself an experience of the Spirit. So perhaps that's you today. Perhaps the day, this day is, is for you an opportunity to, to loosen your tongue to speak the words of forgiveness or to reopen lines of communication with someone in your life from whom you've grown apart. Perhaps the Prince of Peace would open, uh, would loosen your tongue to speak words of forgiveness today. The right words come today in their right order. And every word spells freedom and release. Today the gospel crosses every border. All tongues are loosened by the Prince of Peace. Today the lost are found in his translation, whose mother tongue is love in every nation. Would you stand as we prepare to receive at the table? And we'll make uh, two lines down either of these center aisles. You can receive uh, communion here at either of these tables. There will be somebody here to speak the words, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And as we do so, uh, Jim and, and Chris will be available here in the front for prayer if you'd, if you'd like prayer. And then um, when I'm uh, finished here, I will be available in, in the back for prayer. And of course, um, I, I feel compelled to say that uh, the people seated next to you, by virtue of the, uh, the day that we're celebrating today, are altogether capable of lifting you up in prayer as well. Uh, so I wonder if we might even feel the comfort this morning, if you have a need, or if there's something that has resonated with you this morning, to, to give a tap on the shoulder to uh, someone seated next to you, and uh, if we might even hear uh, in the voices of those closest to us um, words of assurance and words of comfort and prayers offered to the one who, the only one who is powerful enough to uh, affect the change that we so desire and need. So w would you join us at the table of our Lord today?